The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagger. Presenting Season 8, Collision. Collision, Part 8. Written by Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Mercedes Lackey. The rack of energy storage crystals on Vicky's desk had been refilled four times. Or so she thought. She had lost an accurate count early on, too busy dealing with the infiltration teams, and then later the entire assault force. Gray and Herb had just tossed the blackened, sometimes cracked, depleted crystals aside, and there was a pile of rocks spilling over the side of the desk and onto the floor. Vicky felt like one of those crystals, overheated, cracking, and just about spent. But she couldn't stop. She was needed everywhere. With Gray and Herb flying her eyes for her, she could spare her attention for what they were actually showing her. Her hands flew over the keyboard as she moved from group to group, from Jeannie to Corby to Murdoch, to those who were kitted up with the headsets like the Chinese. She damn near passed out getting up the rock barriers that had saved a couple of the groups before the Thulean shield came down. The only reason she hadn't fallen down was that she couldn't. Passing out was not an option. But by now she was running on sheer force of will and not much else. From her vantage of the entire battlefield, she could see the overall pattern that was emerging, and she knew that Art of War could see it too. More and more Thulians were pouring into the battle zone from the farther side of Ultima Thule, and there weren't enough Allied troops to handle them. They couldn't get enough troops in there fast enough, not without more of the Tesla generators than they had to soften up the defending forces. And those generators were clearly the primary targets for the Thulians, who knew very well how vulnerable the devices made them. One by one, they were going down. She could tell by the spike in Bella's vitals that she saw it too. But there was no time and no energy to feel anything. Not when people were relying on her battlefield data, on her warning voice in their ear, on her guidance, and on the tiny dregs of magic she could still manage to throw out there. Emotion was a luxury right now, and she was pared down to bone and sinew. Then a new voice, someone she didn't recognize, pierced through the iron of her concentration. Jesus! Incoming! Incoming! Jolted out of her near trance, she scanned the banks of monitors frantically, trying to spot what that meant, and felt a gut punch as she saw the mass of dots streaking from the far side of Ultima Thule towards base camp, moving as fast or faster than any jet fighter. The color, the aura of orange light, told her what they were. Death spheres. And there wasn't a damn thing she could do about them. Even if she'd had the resource of the hammer available to her, it couldn't have taken out more than one or two. The now-depleted orbital platform took hours to get into position. Pre-selected targets could have tungsten rods dropped on them in minutes, if you had a good eye where they would be, and with her magic eyes she had painted a bullseye right on top of the weapon that had threatened to turn the tide against them. But the station had exhausted its ammunition during the Battle of the Thule in North American HQ, against the gigantic, possibly prototype death sphere, and hadn't been resupplied. That would have taken either a metahuman who could fly in vacuum, which so far as she was aware didn't exist, 
or some form of conventional space vehicle and a spacewalk, which had not exactly been a priority. And that had been only a single target. Now there were hundreds. Before any jets or attack helicopters could be diverted to intercept them, the death spheres had arrived at the staging area. Bolts of energy raised the ground, destroying entire buildings or ripping vehicles and heavy equipment apart. A pair of spheres stopped in the air, hovering for a moment. Then the thermite jets shot out from beneath them, burning everything they touched. Several ground troops began to fire back immediately. Those closest to any of the death spheres were snatched into the air or impaled by the mass of mechanical tentacles that each sphere possessed. All of this carnage passed on Vicky's screens in utter silence, save for the radio chatter. She watched, frozen, caught in the paralysis of utter helplessness. Slowly, too slowly, the defense rallied. Jets and attack choppers made attack runs, all danger close, and soldiers began using surface-to-air rockets with echo payloads. The echo broadcasters at the staging area enabled the coalition forces to damage and destroy the death spheres with conventional weapons, but it all seemed like too little too late. The damage was done by the time the last death sphere was destroyed, intentionally crashing itself into one of the few standing farm buildings before exploding. The staging area was a ruin. Vehicles, ordnance, and troops meant to be funneled to the fighting, destroyed. Hundreds, thousands of people all dead or dying in the span of mere minutes. Bella and her healers were spreading out among the downed troops, but the numbers that could be saved were vastly outweighed by the numbers of those past saving. Then she heard it, the order from Art of War. Activate the glass option, the man said grimly from his command chair. We may have to use it. Vicky thought her heart stopped the moment she heard those words. She couldn't breathe, couldn't think, because she knew what that meant. The nuclear option. Not just one, but, well, she didn't know how many exactly, but at least a dozen nuclear missiles had been reprogrammed and aimed for Ultima Thule. And Art of War had just ordered them armed. If they were used, they would be launched and detonated sequentially. Once started, there would be no stopping the sequence. Each nuke would launch, detonate over the city, and then several minutes later the next would do the same, until there were no warheads left. With the staging area being as close as it was to Ultima Thule, it was likely that they wouldn't get out unscathed if nukes started going off. Art of War knew that, of course, and yet he was still willing to detonate them. As for the people still in that valley... Sir, is that even going to work? Someone asked. We're out of options. Our people on the ground are going to be overrun and crushed, and soon. We need to get as many out as possible. There was a long, quiet pause over the comms. The offensive has failed. Somehow, Vicky's hands were moving over her keyboard without her consciously ordering them. For everyone wired into Overwatch 2, their HUDs were now flashing the evacuation order and showing the quickest way out of the city. For everyone wired into Overwatch 1, a pre-recorded message was repeating in their left ears. And that was all she could do. From thousands of miles away, that was all she could do. 
No earthen barrier that she could throw up would protect her friends, the people she loved, from the hell that was going to fall on them. All her magic, all her skill. None of it mattered. Her hands fell limply onto the keys, and her eyes welled up with helpless tears, blurring the scenes of carnage on her monitors. And yet, they kept fighting. The wounded were being evacuated the hard way, largely not by vehicle, but by being carried or half-supported by fellow soldiers. She caught sight of a flash of black wings, Corby following the route on his HUD, directing the others. And as her eye turned, there was another flash, of white this time. Einhorn, moving among the wounded. A touch here, a touch there, giving just enough healing, just enough strength to keep a faltering man moving. Vicky watched as Einhorn dashed into the open and knelt to tend to one large group of wounded at the edge of the landing zone. All too suddenly, there was an explosion, followed by another, and then another. A death sphere streaked overhead. It was quickly engaged by ground troops and air assets, but not before it had dropped a deadly payload. Krieger armored troopers, an even dozen of them, all landed at the edge of the landing zone, right next to Einhorn and the wounded. Vicky did not expect what happened next. The pearly little horn that gave the girl her call sign began to glow, casting a gentle radiance on the wounded. Somehow they struggled to their feet and began to move, with others rushing in to assist them when it was obvious that, for some unknown reason, the Kriegers were not moving. Einhorn's eyes were fixed on the armored Thulians, and they were not moving. In fact, one after another, they began to droop or bow their heads. One of them even began to shake, and that was when Vicky understood what she was doing. Projective empathy. It was part of the Meta's powers and was usually more of an annoyance than anything due to her emotional outbursts. Somehow, Einhorn had gotten into even the Thulians' aliens' heads and was bombarding them with... What? Grief? Remorse? Whatever it was, she had them in her emotional clutches and she was not letting them go. Vicky found her hands clutching the armrests of her chair, willing more strength into the girl, as behind her the men she had been healing and guarding were getting away, out of sight, out of range, just a little more. A single, thin beam of energy lanced out from a distant rooftop. The beam struck Einhorn in the back, just to the left of her spine. She turned, confused, looking for what had hit her. Then it seemed as if she grew too tired to stand any longer, collapsing to the ground. It looked unreal. Even falling to the ground, she looked graceful and beautiful. It was almost theatrical, a movie death scene rather than the brutal reality of war. Vicky didn't need to check her monitors, but did so anyway, mostly out of habit. The readings confirmed what she already knew. Einhorn was dead. The soldiers around her immediately responded, first venting their rage upon the Krieger troopers that Einhorn had been entrancing, just now coming out of their stupor, then upon the sniper, calling in artillery and using crew-served weapons to completely flatten the entire building the Thulian had been perched on. Vicky swore, scrubbing tears of rage out of her eyes with the back of her hand. There wasn't time for grief. She had too many others that she had to try to save. 
she flung herself back into the frantic effort to get as many of her friends out of that valley as she could. Maybe the mountains would protect them. Maybe they wouldn't. But if she didn't at least try... She was sending Jeannie's team out the opposite direction of everyone else. He didn't understand, but he was following her directions anyway. From where he and the remains of the misfits were, there was no way they'd get to the right exit point anyway. There were too many Kriegers between them and the original LZ. Maybe, just maybe, with the Thulians focused on the main assault, Blue Team could sneak out. Spearhead wasn't retreating. They couldn't even if they wanted to. If they tried to run, they'd be cut down in the streets by the Kriegers who were pressing in from nearly all sides. So instead, they stayed to fight. Holding the line there meant the rest of the forces would have more time to get clear. Their position was no longer the leading edge of an assault, but a die-in-place holdout. They'd occupy the Kriegers and take down as many of them as they could. Even from the high elevation that the eye she was currently using was at, she could clearly pick out where Sarah and John were. It would have been hard not to see them. Great torrents of fire and spears made of flame were constantly assaulting the Kriegers, keeping them at bay. She didn't know where the two of them were getting the energy. After everything they had already done, and how much it had taken out of them. She didn't want to watch Jeannie. She couldn't. After the shield had gone down, Red and the remaining members of his team had opted to remain in the city and fight. Not the wisest of decisions, given that Silent Knight had lost his armor, and between the three of them they only had a handful of magazines of ammunition left. It hadn't taken them long to go through them, and they had been forced to retreat to the city limits for evac. Of all the infiltrators, the survivors of Blue Team had the best chance of getting out of the blast zone, but that was a slender chance at best. And even if they got out of the immediate blast zone, the radiation, the fallout, the blast wave... There was a sound coming from her chest a sound she hadn't even been conscious of making until this moment. It was the dull moan of a dying animal. Because there wasn't a chance. Not a chance in hell. No one was getting out of there alive. We failed. And the world is about to fall. In the novels that she wrote, the good guys won out in the end. Sure, there might be a long, hard road before they reached the end, and there would be loss, but the main character always found her true love, conquered evil, and lived happily ever after. That was the way things were supposed to work. The Thulians did not care about any of that. Once they had finished killing here, the rest of the world would be next. They couldn't leave this assault unanswered. It would be the invasion all over again, but worse. So much worse. The only thing that would stop them would be for Art of War to call in the nukes and turn this part of the Himalayas into glass. And that would still leave everyone dead. A literal Pyrrhic victory, if it even stayed a victory. Because if the Thulians had forces concealed elsewhere, there would be nothing left to counter them. Unidentified contacts coming in from the south. It's... they're huge! Vicky's heart went from stopped to racing. For no purpose, of course, what could she do about it? More Tholians, 
would just make art of war call in the glass strike all the sooner. The staging area couldn't take another hit. If this was a wave of reinforcements for the Thulians... Reflexively, she focused on Red. He and the others were nearly to the edge of the city. Now that the barrier was down, there was a clear exit ahead of them. She couldn't tell him goodbye, couldn't paralyze him by telling them what was coming. After everything they had gone through, all of it, she couldn't even tell him goodbye. Red, she said urgently, move like you're on fire. Please, don't stop, don't think, and don't look behind you until you have a mountain between you and that city. He didn't answer right away. From his mic she heard heavy breathing, the rushing of wind. He was running. I read you, he said finally. It's bad, isn't it? She couldn't lie. Not to him. It's bad. There really any point for us to keep running? If you can get enough rock between you and what's coming, maybe. We'll see what we can find, he panted. But if this goes tits up, I need you to... Shut up! Vicky screamed. Shut up and run! Whatever you're going to say, tell me later. When you're back. When you're... Back! Victrix, listen to me. In case I don't make it, in case I'm not there to remind you, I need to do it now. Remember what you promised me. What I promised you? Right, what you promised me, Red said. Tell me, right now, what you promised. That... that I won't give up. I'll keep fighting to the bitter end. She choked on a sob. That's my girl. Give Herb a tickle and Gray a kick for me. With a little luck, I'll see you soon. Red out. Vic, heads up. Corby needs an alternate route, Gray said in her head, and she dashed tears out of her eyes and yanked her attention back to Team Earth and the stream of wounded they were trying to get out of the blast zone. Bella, she heard from Bulwark, and then silence as he switched to private mode. He knew this was the end. And now so did she. Vicky saw it in their readouts. The sudden hammering of the hearts. Then the acceptance. Then the monitors going dark as both of them closed their eyes. What were they saying to each other? What could they say? She squeezed her own eyes shut, tears leaking out from both corners, painful sobs racking her chest. It couldn't be more than a few moments now. The Kriegers made their push. Their numbers had reached critical mass. They had enough troopers, robo-eagles and wolves, and death spheres to steamroll through the city. Many of them had been building up near Spearhead Group. Even watching through the monitors, Vicky couldn't help but jump at Spearhead's response to the Thulian offensive. Even watching through the monitors, Vicky couldn't help but jump at Spearhead's response to the Thulian offensive. A titanic cloud of flame erupted from a pinpoint on the front lines for Spearhead Group, racing toward the Thulian lines. Murdoch's arc light routine. She'd seen it twice before now, and this was the third. Each time it got... bigger. She saw the reason. One of her eyes, keyed to Spearhead's location, showed Sarah and John standing together in front of the defensive positions. Sarah stood behind him, a hand on either shoulder. She glowed, 
glowed white-hot, her fires pulsing like a heartbeat, and that energy was passing into John with every pulse. Even with all of that fire, the Kriegers moved forward. She watched as the light blinked out, and John and Sarah both collapsed to the ground, the last of their energy spent. Much of what wasn't on fire in that part of the city before had been ignited in a cone-shaped swath leading from the front of Spearhead Group's position. Everyone kept fighting, even as the Kriegers marched forward, and the unidentified readings on the radar reached the edge of the valley. At first, Vicky thought it was an explosion, some sort of impact with the edge of the mountains. Torrents of fire and cloud roiled there, menacing, but also as if the force that created the inferno was, inexplicably, holding back. Then the first edge of a craft pushed through the periphery of the clouds, fire and smoke streaking off it. That leading edge was followed by more and more. Ship. An immense craft, easily more than four times the size of the gigantic death sphere that Vicky had helped bury back in New Mexico. Four of the dragons, like the one that Sarah and John had ended, could have stretched along its diameter, and still had room before they reached the edge. Vicky's first reaction was that it was a new type of death sphere, a world-ender of some sort, come to wipe them all from existence. But it wasn't a sphere at all. As it pushed out through the clouds of smoke and fire at the edge of the valley, its shape became clearer. It was a saucer. An enormous, silvery, featureless saucer. There was no sign of the orange glare that was the signature of the thulium propulsion. This craft merely hung in the sky, brilliant against the black smoke, the fires of the city reflected, distorted, in the chrome of its underside. An even dozen crafts seemed to peel off of the ship. All of them were identical, smaller versions of the mothership, about the size of a normal death sphere. They streaked over the city, faster and with almost sickening acceleration. They literally went from stopped to full speed instantly. They kept formation, a perfect flying V, and were over spearhead group in mere moments. Vicky spotted John and Sarah, feebly stirring, Sarah trying to get John to his feet. Some of the CCCP were trying to fight their way to them, but enemy fire kept them pinned down. Trooper armor was closing in. They were almost upon the couple. The lead saucer opened fire. A single concentrated lance of what looked like blue-white lightning erupted from the edge of the craft and impacted with the trooper closest to John and Sarah. The Krieger exploded as soon as the beam touched him, sending smoking pieces flying, and the arc of... electricity? Plasma? Passed on to the next, who suffered a similar fate. A heartbeat later, all of the dozen saucers began firing. Through the sensors on the eyes, she could hear a continuous roll of thunder from the blasts, all of which targeted the Thulians. Then she recognized it. TDRs. Tesla death rays. Only hundreds of times more powerful than the experimental models deployed at New Mexico. Armored troopers were completely destroyed. Robo-wolves and eagles left dead with smoking holes in their hides, and death spheres were sent flaming to the ground below. All from single, precise shots. The mothership started adding to the destruction, hundreds of blasts of deadly but focused lightning finding targets within the city, slowly marching from south to north ahead of the coalition forces. 
and a frequency that Vicky had not heard from in weeks lit up on both Overwatch 1 and 2 in broadcast all mode. Steel Maiden and Mercury to Echo and Allies. Are we too late for the party? Before Vicky could respond, Art of War had opened his comm. Welcome, Steel Maiden and Mercury. I think we saved you a few. And that, that was when Vicky knew she might have one last little trick to pull out of the bag, one ally she hadn't yet called on. It wouldn't save everyone. It wouldn't bring back the dead. But it would make a little difference. It was like a miracle. It was a miracle. The huge medicine mothership and the squadron of smaller vessels it had brought piggyback had materialized in the nick of time, before art of war began the glass strike. It was like something out of a book. And Bella had absolutely no time to revel in it. There were too many victims on the ground, and she was the only one of the metahuman healers with the ability and capacity to pull the worst of the worst back from the brink. Bull understood that. Go to work, Bella, he said as soon as they both realized they were saved. Do your job. Which was his way of saying, I love you, but they need you. I can wait. She wished dearly for Sarah and her angel juice, or Thea and her line of volunteers, but she had what she had, and she was going to make it stretch as far and for as long as she could, and try not to despair at the numbers of those yet to be tended that she would not be able to help. She had lost count of the men and women who had passed under her hands, and was on the verge of blacking out when— out of nowhere, a hand fell on her shoulder, and new strength flooded into her. Renewed, she finished knitting up the ruptured insides of a young medic, and turned, expecting to see Thea, only to look into the wise and wizened face of a Tibetan in a saffron robe. She blinked, completely at a loss for words, and saw that the monk was only one of at least two dozen more, politely queued up behind him. Fortunately, she didn't have to say anything, for the monk spoke first, in British-accented English. "'Your magician friend sent us,' he said, with a little smile that reminded her of the Dalai Lama. "'We are not healers, but we have the means to give you the strength to heal. Carry on, my child.' Tears of gratitude sprang into her eyes, and the monk wiped them from her cheeks with a gentle thumb and an understanding nod. Then he put his hand back on her shoulder, and Belladonna Blue went back to work, the work that she alone could do. Overwatch to Bells. Kali wants to pay her respects, and I think you two need some FaceTime palaver. Viggy's voice was flat, but that wasn't because she didn't approve of Kanjar paying a little call. It was probably because she didn't have the energy to do more than mumble right now. I'm good with that, Bella replied. Give me a second, I'll flit to somewhere that she can ghost into so we won't be interrupted. Now where would that be? Oh, behind the ruins of the Coalition Command and Control Building, that barn the Allies took over. 
all the bodies had been cleared out, and there was still plenty of smoke and small fires burning. That should give Kanji plenty of cover. Without looking as if she was in a hurry, but also walking purposefully, she made her way to the remains of the farm buildings. Vicky was tracking her, of course, and would be feeding her location to Kanji via the Kali rig. I have to apologize, Bells. I had too many balls in the air, and I wasn't watching for Kali. I should have been. That she got in under our radar is my fault. Oh, for God's sakes, Vix, who do you think you are? Bella snapped. Sauron's all-seeing eye? I have it on good authority that he missed a couple of hobbits. Okay. By this time, she had reached what she considered to be a good spot, a niche in a tumbled-down wall where the view was restricted. She tested the stone to make sure it wasn't going to collapse on her, and leaned against it, waiting. She didn't have to wait long. Incoming, Vicky warned her. Kanjar seemed to materialize out of the smoke, appearing before Bella. She was still wearing her black snake gear. It was covered in grime and burns. She looked almost imperious, haughty as she coldly appraised Bella. But the empathic vibes she got off the Indian meta weren't haughty at all. Just controlled. Very controlled. Kanjar reminded her of Nat, actually. Both women were driven. Both were extremely conscious that they needed to appear as well as be strong. Both were unappreciated by those who should have given them more credit. One of these days, especially if she joins our side, I should introduce them. They'll either love or hate each other. Kanjar, she said with a nod. Glad you requested this meet. I was going to ask, but you beat me to it. The operative merely nodded her head. It seemed prudent that we talk, given the way things have progressed. She peered around momentarily. You were not followed, I take it. Well, as you know yourself, it's hard to sneak up on an empath. Were you? She raised an eyebrow to show she meant it ironically. This time, Bella was surprised. Kanjar smiled ever so slightly. No, I do not believe I was. Also, with your friend, Victrix, watching our every move, I doubt we shall be surprised by anyone. Correct? Bella nodded. Let me cut to the chase for you. Maybe Verd is not paying your whereabouts any attention, but I think we need some plausible deniability for you. I've come up with some. Dom... Verdicree, for all his faults, is a man of many resources. If he was unaware of my departure, he's surely aware of my presence here now. Kanjar nodded and relaxed against the other wall, mirroring Bella's pose. Deliberate? Probably. Bella doubted that Kanjar ever did anything by accident. So, I have one idea. Have you any? she asked. Kanjar nodded once. Indeed I do. First, what is your idea? You got wind of the operation and came for the looting. 
I'm going to arrange for some duplicate Thulian equipment to be left where you and yours can make off with it. I figure Verd would try to do this anyway, and this way I control what he gets. What's yours? Bella knew that there were plenty of people who would be appalled by this plan, but the way she saw it, Verdigree was going to get the tech one way or another. He had enough officials bribed and enough governments to ensure that. But once he had some shinies, he would probably concentrate on those and not try for more. Vix flashed a green light in her HUD, showing she liked the plan. Simple. Dom is a man of singular purpose. When he wants something, he's rarely dissuaded. I was going to tell him that, despite my earlier reservations, that I came here to capture the Deva, the one you call the Seraphim. Bella blinked. Huh. That's interesting. Surely, given what she said so far, she wasn't really going to try for Sarah, was she? Could you have pulled that off? Kanjar was silent for a moment, thinking. Could I? At the time that the other agent was sent after her? Perhaps. The better question is, would I have tried if Verdigree had asked me in the first place? I believe your friend, the Seraphim, has the answer. She turned her head to the side. I believe that together... Both of these reasons will be sufficient to deflect Verdigree's suspicion. So came for the... What did you call her? The diva. Stayed for the looting. Bella nodded. I'll make sure you get what looks choice. Small, portable, not obviously broken, melted or otherwise crapped up. It'll be left in that graveyard area. I'll have my people make a phony tomb if you don't want it left in the open. And I'll have in-situ snapshots of each piece so Verd can make a reasonable guess at what it's for. She inclined her head at Kanjar. I'll try and make it look as thorough as I know you are. Her vitals spike every time she even talks about tackling Sarah. No worries, Bells. The little whisper from Vicky made her relax a bit more, as did the strong sense of not going there she got from the Black Snake Op. I appreciate your candor, Miss Parker. Continue doing what you must, and I shall do the same. Oh, one more thing. What do you want me to do if we find any of your people hurt? That was the last loose end. There were enough different uniforms in the coalition that Bella was pretty sure no one would think twice about seeing one of the Black Snake Ops, but Vicky had them all tagged at this point and Bella was pretty sure she could spirit a wounded snake out to where Kanjar could pick him up. All of my people are already accounted for, in one fashion or another. Kanjar paused for a moment, turning to go, and then turning back. I thank you for your concern. Black Snake is not evil, not entirely, nor are the men working for it. Many of them fought and died today for the same ends that you seek. You relieve me. Bella was absolutely certain, given what she felt from Kanjar, that accounted for did not mean eliminated. 
Your men were heroes today, Kanjar. So were you. I wish people could know that. Another smile, but this one was much sadder. It does not matter that people know we are fighting for them, Miss Parker. It only matters that we fight. We shall be in touch. You can bet on it. Bella waited until Kanjar had faded into the smoke before leaving the niche herself. She took the long way back. Bella felt as if she shouldn't be here. It was not the first time, and probably would not be the last, but never had she felt less prepared and more overwhelmed by her position as CEO of Echo. It was three days after the assault on Ultima Thule. Three days since they had almost failed and been saved at the last moment. The medicine mothership was gone, leaving behind Merck and Ramona, and a single ship with a couple of highly excitable female pilots who looked like something out of a 1960s sci-fi show. So was Kanjar, with as much high-tech Thulean loot as a chopper could carry. There was still so much work to do, it was difficult to fathom where she should even start. So many wounded. Too many. She had been working triple shifts, only kept awake now by caffeine and an energy boost from Thea a few minutes earlier. At the moment, she was lined up with generals, colonels, and other military officials, headed by Arthur Chang, who was resplendent in a uniform with more medals and ribbons than Bella had ever seen in person before, and general stars, which really did not surprise her. Everyone was run ragged, but all of the uniforms were pressed and clean for this press conference. It was being held aboard the command and control plane, with video feeds for the viewers and for the interviewees. She felt horribly out of place, despite several other metahumans scattered among the ranks. There was Natalia, her CCCP dress uniform looking crisp. She had flatly refused any makeup to cover up the cuts and bruises on her face and neck. An interesting distance away from her was Worker's Champion. As predicted, his supernauts had basically refused all orders save for those from Boryats, and had simply rampaged their way through the city. As a result, they'd suffered tremendous losses, which probably didn't matter to Boryats. There were more fools to fill the supernaut suits where the last lot had come from. Ramona Ferrari had placed herself between Bella and Nat, reflecting her position as the intermediary between CCCP and Echo. The commanders of the metahuman forces from the Chinese and other non-Western contingents were also here, but none of them were under the spotlight the way Bella was. She was the CEO of Echo, and the most visible place to start placing blame. And oh, there would be blame. For starters, blame that the attack had been kept secret, and blame that it hadn't happened sooner. Never mind the reality of the situation and what had led up to this point. The monitors lit up, each one originally meant to hold a battlefield situation, a map, or information, and now each one holding a face. Reporters, representatives of government. The questions started all at once, blaring over the speakers connected to the monitor of the press room back in the USA. The most predictable thing was that many of the reporters were directing their questions to Bella. 
After all, it had been Echo that had been holding the line against the Thulians. It had been Echo that was the focus of the Thulian attacks. And she was the head, the war leader of Echo. The last offensive that had been mounted in New Mexico had been under her command. They naturally assumed she was the one in command here. It was a cacophony. She could barely make out some of the questions, pitched more shrilly than others. Why have we only just now heard of this? Why did Echo keep the location of this Thulian city a secret? Why wasn't the city attacked sooner? Is this the end of the Thulian threat? What is the nature of Echo's involvement with this international force? The questions felt like an artillery barrage. She kept her head high, even though she half wanted to scream at them all to shut up and half wanted to slap her hand down on the kill switch. Where was Spin Doctor? Why didn't Vicky have him murmuring advice in her ear? Arthur held up a hand. Whether it was his presence even through a monitor screen or something else, all of the reporters and varied representatives fell silent. First, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to thank you all for taking the time to assemble for this conference. We don't have much time to speak, since there's quite a bit of work yet to be done, so I'm going to be as brief as possible when trying to answer the most pertinent questions. He paused for a moment, then continued. My name is General Arthur Chang of the United States Marine Corps, leader of the coalition forces here in the Himalayas. Three days ago, at 4.30 a.m. local time, a coalition of troops from militaries from every corner of the planet came together and mounted an attack on what we believe to be the heart of the Krieger menace, a city called Ultima Thule. The city was located in a remote stretch of the Himalayan mountains and was concealed in such a way that it was not able to be located by conventional means. This attack was conducted in secrecy so as not to alert our mutual enemy. The attack was a success. Through the courageous and valiant actions of the best that our world has to offer, we were able to capture the city. Arthur stopped again, allowing his words to sink in. To accomplish this task, we enlisted the help of ECHO, the CCCP, the Supernaut Corps, and several other national metahuman organizations. Despite the extraordinary forces we arrayed against the enemy, we suffered significant losses and are still processing the prisoners that surrendered to our forces. Until we have finished with that and fully taken control of the city, there are not many details that can be furnished. Now, I believe that the President's press conference and those of the other national leaders are going to start soon, so I'm going to sign off. Thank you, and good night. Before the assembled body could begin their questions anew, the screens and microphones were switched off. Everyone in the room gradually relaxed, shuffling around and talking quietly amongst each other. Bella felt dizzy with relief and actually had to put her hand on the back of the chair for a moment to steady herself. Then, before he got caught up in something else, she crossed the few steps between them and lightly touched Chang's elbow. He broke off what he was saying to an aide to turn his attention towards her. I want to thank you, General. Twice. Both times for pulling my fat out of the fire. Here and now, and when you took over the job of commanding in the first place. He smiled. Don't thank me just yet, ma'am. We're not done yet. 
still have a meeting to attend, and I have a feeling that this one will not be nearly as quick or pleasant as the press conference. Arthur swept an arm out in front of himself. Will you accompany me, ma'am? Once more into the breach, she said dryly. He shook his head. No, don't quote Boudicca. She ultimately lost. Bella raised an eyebrow. I thought I was quoting Henry V. All right, then. Damn the torpedoes. Full speed ahead. The entire group was slowly shuffling out of the cramped C&C plane, and when Bella ducked out of the fuselage door, she saw they were heading towards another one of the same sort of inflatable shelters that the medic units were in. Well, at least they wouldn't be elbow to ear in there. The warmth once they got inside was very welcome. It probably wasn't more than a degree or two above freezing out in the open. The setup resembled the auxiliary command center, now a heap of smoking stone and corrugated tin, and only quick thinking by everyone concerned had gotten all but a couple of staff out before one of the Thulean spheres had blasted it. There were several concentric rings of seats and desks, network laptops on each, and a nameplate. She spotted hers and headed for it, wincing as she sat down. She hadn't realized she had strained so many muscles. She noticed as she sat down that there was one other thing on the desk. A little light, currently off, but with a button beside it. She smiled to herself. Well, that was one way to handle what was likely to be another barrage of questions. Whether or not Boreitz and Nat would consider themselves required to use the light, however, rather than just shouting over the top of anyone who was trying to speak, was another thing altogether. Arthur Chang took his place at the center seat, looked around to be sure that everyone had at least gotten to the right desk, and sat down. All right. We have a lot of business to deal with. Does anyone... Having already recognized what the little light was for, Bella had already slapped her button before he finished the sentence. She thought she saw a hint of amusement in his eye as he acknowledged her. Echo Lead Parker, go ahead. Prisoners, she said succinctly. There are thousands. We didn't make any plans for them since we've never had Kriegers actually surrender before, and we can't exactly turn them loose. Hell, we don't even know what they eat. What are we going to do with them? At the far end of the room, the representative for the Chinese Red Army metahuman team, a diminutive man wearing a face wrap and dark shades, pressed the button at his desk, the small light coming on. Arthur nodded to him. Is simple. They are still the enemy. They signed no Geneva Convention. Many are not even human, and those that are, are clearly in compact with the enemy. So, we deal with them like traitors. Line them up and shoot them. Simple. The room immediately erupted into roaring argument. Bella thought about trying to interject something into it, then thought better of the idea. Boreas and Nat seemed to be in almost perfect agreement with the Chinese, with one little difference. They both wanted to torture a few dozen just to see if anything useful about the wrecked tech of the city could be gotten out of them. Bella only wished that Murdoch was here. He'd managed to get some sense into Nat's head. 
Hmm. Murdoch Gambit. Overwatch, she murmured. Open Red Savior Private. Nat, Boreas is trying to goad you into looking like a barbarian. Five minutes more, he'll ramp up your temper, and then he'll abandon the position of torture and execution, leaving you standing there holding the baby. Remember what Murdoch said about torture when we interrogated Bad Bowie. Beat Boreas at his own game. The commissar shot a glance over to Bella, looking more annoyed than anything. Instead of using the light on her desk to signal her desire to speak, Natalia charged her fist with energy and brought it down, lightly for her, with a clang against the metal desk. Everyone in the room turned to look at her, some of the closer military officials visibly startled. Perhaps summary execution after... Enhanced interrogation is too quick for these dogs. There is being much to learn from them, if time is taken. Catching more flies with sugar, da? There may be other cells of fascistas still scattered out in world, waiting to launch attacks anew. Then there is matter of the hybrids, the Tullian human mixes. How is such thing even being possible? Maybe good to question them on it. She shrugged. Nuremberg is being working once, and the world will be wanting to see these dogs face justice. Worker's champion looked at the commissar coolly and was about to speak before Arthur cut him and everyone else in the room off. The United States military already has a system in place for processing prisoners of war. I assure all of you that any intelligence that we might be able to glean from the detainees will be shared, equally, I might add, with everyone's intelligence services and governments. At the same time, we are extremely visible right now. We're on the world stage, and any mistreatment of these prisoners will echo through history, tainting what we've accomplished here. It's not our job to determine their ultimate fate. Our job is to make sure that there are no more threats out there, and to handle any that are. After all, as the Commissar rightly pointed out, their predecessors faced justice at Nuremberg, and there is no reason why such trials cannot take place again. In fact, there is every reason that they should. Agreed. Before he was half-finished, Red Savior was nodding vigorously, and the more she nodded, the more workers' champion glowered. One by one, everyone gave their assent. It was the combination of the commissar and Art's force of personality that ensured the argument ended, and right there. Bella couldn't help but notice a tiny smirk on the commissar's face. She'd won over workers' champion in front of everyone and had used the ploy he'd potentially intended to use on her to boot. That set the tone for the rest of the meeting. Some more ridiculous solutions were proposed, but for the most part Natalia and Arthur remained in agreement, sometimes with some gentle persuasion from Bella for the commissar. Once more, Bella was overwhelmingly grateful for the Overwatch system. She could reign in Nat without anything overt and potentially embarrassing. The occupation of the city was determined to be a multinational affair with NATO oversight, much to the chagrin of the Indian military, who wanted the whole nine yards for themselves. Other important matters, such as airlift evacs for wounded to military hospitals, 
where to house the Krieger detainees, priority of study of the remains of the Thulean city and technology, and so on, were dealt with more expeditiously. Before the city capitulated, it seemed that many of the support personnel and some of the troopers had slagged as much tech and equipment that they could to keep it from falling into the Coalition's hands. Bella had seen pictures and video feed of some of the wreckage. Only guessing at the purpose of some of the machines, she was still unsettled. All sorts of obscure devices and mechanisms, manufacturing centers, even chambers that clearly were meant to hold living beings. Finally, there was a long moment of silence. And when the light at the desk of the German delegate came on, it almost made Bella start. Just one small operational question, the officer said, with crisp politeness and not even a trace of an accent. Why was CCCP fielding Op 4s without informing the rest of the coalition? All eyes turned towards the commissar, whose expression froze. Bella decided to bail her out and give her time to think. Echo and the CCCP have worked very closely since CCCP headquartered in Atlanta, she said into the tense silence. I can tell you that to my certain and very personal knowledge, at least one of the individuals you refer to was certainly not displaying Op 4 characteristics until today. As for the Seraphim, she shrugged eloquently. I'm not sure what she is, and neither is anyone else, although there's been plenty of speculation about it. She has never officially been with Echo or the CCCP, although the CCCP accepted her as an ally combatant when she volunteered. All I know is she's on our side. She lifted an eyebrow at the German. Of course, if you want to question her yourself. The German army representative shifted uncomfortably. The commissar took this opportunity to interject. Metahuman powers have been known to fluctuate, especially in times of stress. We did not willfully withhold information about the capabilities of our comrades. To do so would have been foolish, since planning could take such a factor into account. I assure all of you, however, my people are not being ones that you need to worry about. The situation with the two comrades in question is under control. Bella understood the apprehension, and she couldn't help but feel some herself. There were very, very few Op-4s around, and for good reason. Even someone like Worker's Champion or Chug, whose super-strength and invulnerability were the stuff of modern legends, only qualified as Op-3. Many of the Op-4s still in existence were forces of nature. Where they went, things changed, and not necessarily for the better. Nearly all of the most powerful metahumans had some sort of mental instability. For the most part, whenever they were used, they were channeled as best as was possible, but sometimes attempts to control them just didn't work. The incident with the mountain was still the matter of a lot of controversy back in Atlanta. So far, it didn't seem as if John and Sarah were a danger to anyone. The level of power that they evidenced during the attack was the most frightening aspect of the two of them, not the way they used it. Once they were all back stateside, she hoped she would get the opportunity to talk with both of them again, get a better read on them. Though, really, if she got a chance now, she'd feel a lot more comfortable.
the commissar was saved from further questioning about the couple. There was an LCD screen hanging on the wall behind Arthur Chang that had been dark until this moment. Now it came to life. Vicky's weary face appeared in it. Permission to speak, sir, she said into the silence. I uh, don't have a light to flash at you. Taken by surprise at the hijacking of his own equipment, Chang turned to stare at Vicky in surprise. Who? he began. Bella interjected smoothly. One of my electronic intel techs back in Atlanta, sir. You interfaced with her during the battle. She wouldn't be interrupting if she hadn't discovered something. Chang nodded. Very well, then. Uh, please speak, miss. Been going through camera footage and got this, sir, Vicky said, not identifying herself as Overwatch, much less as the operator of Overwatch 2. The screen switched to what Bella recognized as the moment right after the medicine ship appeared. This was a relatively undamaged part of the city, and there was something in the middle of the picture that riveted everyone's attention. A metal dragon. By now, everyone was familiar with the images of the flying firebreather that Murdoch and the Seraphim had destroyed, and the serpentine troop devourer that Chug had literally punched his way out of. This was not either one of those. It was hard to tell for certain, but Bella got the impression that this beast was larger than either of the other two. There were a couple hundred armored Kriegers attached to the sides for transport, as they did with the Death Spheres. The thing had its neck stretched out and its mouth open, and more unarmored Kriegers were running in through the mouth, some with their arms full of equipment or things unidentifiable. The focus zoomed in. Bella gasped, and so did anyone else who recognized who the two figures running for the dragon were. Ubermensch, in his full armor, being pulled along by Valkyria. He was gesticulating, clearly objecting to retreat. She was not taking no for an answer. The focus zoomed in even tighter, and Valkyria paused. Then she turned her head and stared, right at the camera, which should not have been possible, Bella knew, since Vicky's little spy eyes were invisible. But what happened next moment confirmed that somehow, not only was Valkyria aware that she was being filmed, she could see what was doing the filming, because she frowned, pulled out a pistol of some kind, and pointed it at the camera. And the screen went blank. But before anyone could react to that, a new view from farther away came up. The camera zoomed in again, but it was so far away that the only thing that could be determined was that the two figures running into the dragon's mouth were indeed Ubermensch and Valkyria. And once they were aboard, the mouth snapped shut, the head lifted up, and the dragon rose into the air, scales outlined in the orange glow of Thulian propulsion. Taking advantage of the billowing clouds of black smoke, it disappeared into them, only to reappear in the distance. Then it rose over the side of the mountain and was gone. That was an evac, sirs. Ladies, said Vicky. And an evac generally has a place to evac, too. A light came on at a desk in the back. I know some people who might be able to help with that, 
said a welcome and familiar voice, and Ramona Ferrari stood up so that people would be better able to see her. It looked as if she'd gotten better control over her rebellious epidermis. There was just enough metal showing along the edges of her cheeks and jawline to make it obvious she was metahuman. She was wearing a standard Echo Nanoweave uniform rather than the armor and Nanoweave suit Bella had had made for her, and had a full cup of coffee in one hand. Steel Maiden, Arthur Chang said. Ramona nodded. Yes, sir. Also former detective Ramona Ferrari, she added. And the time has come to tell you all about a group of people who call themselves Metis. You have been listening to Collision, Season 8 of the Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series. Season 8 is written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Music is Exciting Trailer by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle podcast is narrated and produced by Veronica Jaguer and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. The fourth book, Collision, is available in print and ebook in December 2014 from the amazing people at Bayon Books. For more information about the series or to listen to earlier seasons, check out www.secretworldchronicle.com. Want to chat with the authors and fellow SWC fans? Join the Secret World Chronicle group on Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening.